Hi, everyone. This is Tom Salemi of Device Talks. Welcome to our second season of Medtronic Talks. In our first season, we spoke with the leaders of Medtronic's operating units to better understand the direction of each of the businesses. Now, with their courses set and clear, we're going to talk to the engineers, scientists, physicians, and other experts who are executing on these strategies. We'll still keep a tight focus on each of Medtronic's businesses, but we are going to get a lot deeper into these stories. Let's go. Hi, everybody. This is Tom Salemi of Device Talks. Welcome back to the Medtronic Talks podcast. We'll focus today's episode on lung cancer, something both of our guests agree needs more attention. We spoke with Emily Ellswick, who is vice president in the office of the CEO, and she's former vice president and general manager of lung health and visualization at Medtronic. We also talked with Dr. William Mayfield. He is Wellstar Health Systems medical director and a former chief surgical officer there. Together, we uh, really reviewed where lung cancer stands, how deadly it is, and Dr. Mayfield had some uh, some really startling statistics about that. And uh, also, what else needs to be done? Emily Ellswick shared a, a personal story as to how lung cancer impacted her family and uh, really made a clear statement that we have the tools that we need to really expand lung cancer screening. So uh, an important conversation, one uh, that I did not necessarily enjoy having, but uh, found it very, very informative and enlightening, and I'm sure you will too. And of course, we're having this conversation at the start of November, which is Lung Cancer Awareness Month. Before we begin this episode, though, I'd like to remind you that you can subscribe to Medtronic Talks. Please uh, look for it on any major podcast application, the Medtronic Talks channel. You can uh, like, follow, and or subscribe, and you'll have future episodes of Medtronic Talks podcast sent directly to your phone or wherever else you're listening to this podcast. You can also, of course, access back episodes as well. So without any more delay, let's begin my conversation with Emily Ellswick and Dr. William Mayfield. Well, Dr. William Mayfield and Emily Ellswick, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for inviting us. My pleasure. So this is a fascinating space, and it's one we haven't really addressed much on the podcast series, Lung Health. And it's uh, an area that I've had an interest in. I've, I've helped put together events around respiratory innovation and med tech and biopharm as well. And it's always been a space that I, I don't think gets enough attention from investors either. So I'm really happy to be shining a light on it. But uh, before we get into the business of lung health, I always love to learn how folks found their way to where they are. So uh, Dr. Mayfield, we'll start with you. What set you onto a path toward medicine or into medicine? Wow. So I became an EMT at about 17 years old. Oh, neat. One of the first EMTs in Georgia. I ended up on the ambulances at Grady. Before then, I was going to be a mathematician or a physicist, but uh, <laughs> my experience uh, on the ambulances and in the emergency room made me want to pursue medicine. So Went to medical school and I'm rotating on different services. Absolutely fell in love with cardiac surgery and thoracic surgery and I had a good mentor there. So set off to be a heart surgeon and thoracic surgeon. And um, after training at the University of Florida, go Gators, spent my last 30 years uh, back in Atlanta where I grew up practicing cardiac surgery for the first 15 years and thoracic surgery for the last 15 years. And how much of that now involves uh, lung surgery? 
So 99% of what I do is lung okay. surgery. Excellent. Okay, great. And uh, is that primarily uh, cancers, things like that? What, what yeah, sort so of it's split somewhat between uh, lung cancers and benign disease. Uh, yeah. and it includes lung cancers, uh, thymic tumors, chest wall tumors, and then uh, things like empyemas and pleural effusions, infections inside the chest. Wow. Okay. Good. Well, thanks for, for sharing that, for giving us that background. And Emily, how did you find your way into the medical device industry? Yeah, well, Dr. Mayfield went back really far, so maybe I should go back as far. <laughs> uh, I'm a graduate of Indiana University, so go Hoosiers, and from the journalism school there and thought I was going to be a television Woo-hoo. reporter, and here I am now. Um, but I started my career with Medtronic um, about 18 years ago as a commercial sales rep in northern Indiana. That's back when it was U.S. Surgical, Tyco Healthcare, which became Covidian and the largest acquisition at its time um, by Medtronic in 2015. And so I've held various roles in increasing responsibility from, you know, sales to market development and global marketing, and then moved into the vice president and general manager role about four years ago. I'm always uh, happy to meet a journalism major who gets on us, finds honest work. It took me a long time. How did you make that, that transfer from, uh, it's quite a leap for a journalism person. Yeah, it was honest work that actually paid money as well, yeah. right? Um, those, <laughs> those early offers back in the day to be a, a reporter were really challenging. You know, I was fortunate my parents, uh, you know, provided to cover my my college tuition, but I kind of was to a point where it's like, can I really ask my parents to continue to, you know, fund me um, for the next 10 to 15 years? And so um, my mom, who works in healthcare and supply chain for 37 years at a hospital, connected me with her vice president. And he said, you know what, you really do well in sales. Um, and so I kind of networked my way into, into a sales career. That's great. Yeah. It took me about 10 years. It took my wife about 10 months. She's like, this is not for me. I'm out of here. So good for you. <laughs> so tell us about the lung health business. What areas do you oversee? What products do you oversee? Yeah, it's a really exciting business, you know, especially as we think about this being November and Lung Cancer Awareness Month. You know, this business is made up of technologies um, and really amazing people that allow us to really develop minimally invasive diagnostic and therapeutic solutions to improve outcomes for patients around the globe. It's made up of technologies that help us in identifying patients. So patients that are coming in the health system that may be coming in through lung cancer screening initiatives or incidentally found nodules. Those patients are often lost to follow up in the healthcare system. So we have technology that helps put our fingerprints on those patients and move them into the care continuum so they can be seen by programs and teams like what Dr. Mayfield leads. We have diagnostic platforms, our endoluminal navigation platform, the recent launch of a lumicite that aids physicians in garnering a diagnosis. So we can say, is it cancer? Is it not cancer? localize that disease and then ultimately move them on to the right treatment. Some of those treatment and therapies provided as well by Medtronic are tools that allow for minimally invasive surgery, our exciting future platform in Hugo for surgical robotics, and our first to world therapy for lung lesions with our endoluminal ablation therapy, um, which is an alternative to curative intense surgery. So we're super excited about the platform technologies and really the ecosystem that we're creating to really change what's happening in lung cancer today. Well, you've got a lot going on. We could talk about lung cancer. Of course, it's lung cancer. It's the primary topic of today, but I'd love to also understand just about the state of lung health. Dr. Mayfield, can you just sort of give me a sense as to where are we in, in the state of lung health in that by, I mean, are people's lungs getting healthier? Are they getting less healthy? Are we seeing impacts from the environment? 
from vaping. What direction are we heading? Are we heading up or are we heading down? Are we holding steady? So it's a very mixed bag. The good news is that the number one cause of lung disease uh, overall really is malignant lung disease is, is tobacco abuse, smoking. And there are a number of countries which have instituted really aggressive tobacco cessation, tobacco limitation programs, both in the East and the West. So anything you can do to reduce uh, tobacco use is going to impact lung cancer, COPD, chronic asthma, things like that. So in the developing world, uh, we are seeing a reduction in tobacco abuse. The problem is now we're seeing an increase on the vaping side. And we're seeing some cities that are overwhelmed with uh, pollutants, you know, in the air. So there are now uh, estimated to be, you know, 68 million vapors. And the people that vape, uh, unfortunately, expose themselves to inhaled chemicals like uh, formaldehyde and ethylene glycol and those kind of things that we've never seen in the lungs uh, before. And we've been studying lung cancer and tobacco for you know, 60 or 70 years, this is all so new that we really don't know where it's going to end up. So I'd say it's a mixed bag. Tobacco's coming down, vaping's going up, and then the atmosphere depends on where you live. That's interesting. I mean, obviously, I've known vaping is a concern, and uh, I always tease my teenage son about vaping. He He doesn't, but I always ask him. But I thought there would be a parallel between, we know what will happen if you continue to vape because we've seen what happens with tobacco, but we actually don't know what might happen 10 or 20 years from inhaling these chemicals. We don't know yet. We do, we do have some acute uh, pulmonary syndromes associated with vaping. We, have, we do see what's called bronchiolitis obliterans, mm-hmm. which is a type of small airway disease. We've seen popcorn lung, which is in uh, lipoid pneumonias, all those things that are unique to vaping. You know, on the fairly acute side, we don't know what the long, long term is, 20, 30 years out. Wow. Corn lung sounds awful. Emily, how, how is Medtronic sort of viewing the, the state of, of lung health? It's a great question. You know, we know today that the majority of lung cancer is found too late, right? Um, and oftentimes, curative intent procedures like surgery are no longer options for patients based on when they present. So Dr. Mayfield and others like him are seeing a very small fraction of lung cancer patients because of the progression of their disease when it's identified. And, you know, if you are lucky enough to be found early, minimally invasive surgery is still not accessible globally. So invasive procedures tend to still really be high, you know, and sadly, lung cancer has a higher recurrence rate than other cancers, along with what I think personally is the most astonishing numbers for me is the time a patient waits from initial presentation of that nodule on a CT or an x-ray that they see and when they actually receive their initial treatment is anywhere from five to six months. So these patients sit in uncertainty and worry about the next steps. Is the cancer growing? Concerned about survival? I'm concerned about my family and what's next. And it's too long and it's inefficient. And it doesn't have to be that way. And we have the opportunity to change the state of lung cancer. And that's real. Um, And it's actionable today. And programs like Dr. Mayfield and at Wellstar are are seeing the results of that hard work that they've put in, in the past years, really bearing fruit. And that's what we need to see to change what's happening in lung cancer. And I understand you've had a recent tragic connection, personal connection to to lung cancer. Could you share that with us, if you wouldn't mind? And, And how does that do you? It's it's very rare to be touched by tragedy and, and disease and to have the ability to actually have the tools at your disposal to, to hopefully 
save someone else's life down the line. Yeah, my work life and my professional life yeah. came together four years ago this month when my father-in-law, who is a lifelong smoker, started having pain in his chest and uh, he went in for what in Northern Indiana, uh, you get an x-ray, right? And that x-ray didn't look good. And he went in for a TTNA. That's what was available in that institution. And it was a diagnosis of, of lung cancer. And that diagnosis was in August. He was immediately sent for next-gen sequencing and understanding um, it was late stage, right? So what are we going to do? What options do we have? And I was pressing. I was advocating. I knew enough to advocate to say there are a lot of new targeted therapies now. What can be done? And he was put on a chemotherapeutic with a targeted therapy. But sadly, we know that those things have side effects. And he made it through the first and second chemotherapy treatments and had a stroke after the second treatment. And then once we went to the third treatment, he really declined from there. And so out of the six rounds he was supposed to receive, he made it through three. And at that point, there was just really nothing else that they could do. And so we went through the tragic experience of hospice, lost him in October of that year. So we didn't get more than 60 days with him from the identification of the lesion to the treatment that he was he was going through. So yeah, my personal and work life came together and he was, you know, what happens oftentimes with lung cancer patients that are found too late with very, very few options left for them. But I'm not the only one. We have others in this business that all have some connection to lung cancer. And so it's not an anomaly. Everyone in somewhere is touched by lung cancer. And it is um, it is a disease that I think is a stigmatized disease. And it's one that's kept in the shadows. But when you really ask people, do you know anyone with lung cancer? You're amazed at how many people you hear from that say, yes, I've been touched by it, or I know someone that has, or yes, my, my family member has. And so it's a disease that we need to not only bring out of the shadows, but continue to innovate to change what's happening. Well, I'm really sorry for, for your loss. And uh, that's a powerful connection. Uh, Dr. Mayfield, I mean, this is probably an all too familiar story for you. How are we with diagnosing cancer? Are we able, it was mentioned that a good deal sure. of it happens later stage. Are we moving into early stage? What's going on in that regard? So I'd like to bring to light really what the burden of lung cancer is and then how we can move to the individual. I'm a pilot and I talk about aviation safety in every talk that I give. So when you see a picture on the front page of a 747 that has crashed somewhere in the world, it's international news. NTSB is involved, governments are involved, manufacturers are involved, lawsuits everywhere. 422 people lost in that airplane. Every day in the United States, 422 people die of lung cancer. It's a 747 or 757 going in. Wow. Every single day. In Europe, it's a thousand people a day. It's two and a half, seven, four, seven. In China, it's uh, 1,700 people a day. It's four a day. Wow. So that is the, that's the relative burden, but there is no outcry like there is when a plane goes out. As Emily said, uh, lung cancer is a somewhat stigmatized disease that you smoke, you get lung cancer. Well, the go to lung cancer foundation will say, no one deserves to die of lung cancer, okay? It's our job to flip the odds on lung cancer. So how do you do that? Let's get to the lung cancer before it gets to late stage. 80% of people show up in late stage. 
So what are the things that we can do to find lung cancer earlier? And what we've been working on uh, for the last 15 or 20 years is lung cancer screening. So what is lung cancer screening? It's a low-dose CT scan done once a year in patients who have a history of smoking tobacco and are at relatively high risk. In our program, which has been running for 15 years now, we have 11,000 people in the program, we now see 71%, 72% of patients early stage in our lung cancer screening program. So we have identified you know, 465 lung cancers and the vast majority of them in early stage, which either get operated on and or get some other uh, type of local treatment. Lung cancer screening has a very low uptake across the United States, mainly because it's not as easy to go get a lung cancer screening as to get colonoscopy or mammography. You can just walk in and get colonoscopy. You can just walk in and get mammography. But for lung cancer screening, you have to meet certain qualifications. You got to be 50 years or older, 20-pack year history smoking. You can't have quit uh, smoking more than 15 years ago. And uh, you have to have, undergo a shared decision-making tool. All those kind of stand in the way because primary care doctors are overwhelmed with business already. And now you're going to throw this big hurdle over which they must uh, uh, overcome to do lung cancer screening. All right. So we have a slow update. Is there another way to find early stage lung cancers? <clears throat> so Emily referred to incidental nodules. What's an incidental nodule? The way we find a bunch of lung cancers in this uh, country is the following. You sprain your ankle, you break your leg, you end up in the emergency room. You say, yeah, I'm a little short of breath. You get a CT scan of your chest. Voila, somebody sees a lung nodule on your lung. Now you came in for broken ankle, but the incidental finding was a lung nodule in your lung. So we review 60,000 images of the chest each year that come into our health system. And every 10 days, we find a lung cancer in that population. Wow. Next week, we'll mark two years, and we will have found nearly 100 lung cancers in the incidental nodule program. Now, 55% of those are early stage. 20% of those are in never smokers. I was going to say, what percentage of those would not have received the test? Never smokers. And 45% of those patients would never have qualified for lung cancer screening by the USTF, USPSTF criteria. So now we've extended our ability to find early stage lung cancer by uh, screening a different population in a different way. And it's called incidental nodule management. And these results are being uh, seen elsewhere uh, around the country. So we're finding new ways. And then we apply all the new technology, all the new diagnostics, all the next gene sequencing, all the new therapies to those cancers. Well, Emily, I'm not really interested in flinging myself down a flight of stairs so I can get get a CAT scan of my chest. What's Medtronic work on? We've, we've identified the problem. We have folks like Dr. Mayfield who are, who are ready to help. What is Medtronic doing to give us the tools we need to kind of move things forward and to find lung cancer sooner? Yeah, it's a great question and a great follow-on to Dr. Mayfield. And honestly, we're excited about what we're working on. But, you know, I want to give you some context, too. As Medtronic from the Covidian acquisition, we really invented the minimally invasive space dating back to the 1990s. We were teaching physicians back then um, how to do minimally invasive surgery, and, and thoracic lung was one of those. And making minimally invasive surgery a reality, not only for patients, but clinicians like Dr. Mayfield. Um, and we've continued to innovate across the continuum um, with the acquisition of Superdimension in 2012 and really um, now providing, um, as Dr. Mayfield stated, 
patient management software that helps put our fingerprints right on these lung cancer screening and incidentally found patients sooner and better manage them through that care continuum. And we're benefiting from a recent launch that we just did of our new endoluminal platform, site our diagnostic platform, helping those physicians really solve for, I think, some technology deficits that were there um, in the early years of the technology. The lung is a dynamic, breathing lung when you're doing these procedures. So, you know, the nodule essentially moves. That's called CT to body divergence. And so our ability to maintain accuracy so that we can go after that lesion, which is oftentimes, you know, very small, potentially around a centimeter to be able to acquire tissue out of that and give an accurate reflection of that to both a physician doing the diagnosis and the pathologist that ultimately is going to make a call is critical. And so that technology that we've developed and recently launched is really showing promise and a lot of success out in the market. And I think the future is exciting. We're not done, right? We're continuing to push for innovation. Um, Surgical robotics is clearly on the forefront and it's a topic in in everyone's minds. We're excited, enthusiastic about the future of Hugo, our surgical robotic platform, along with our first to-world investments in this ablative therapy that I talked about, being able to deliver energy endoluminally to a lung lesion is exciting. Uh, We're in the FDA, we're in discussions with them. It's encouraging, but we've been doing these procedures with a CE mark and clearance outside of the US and over 225 patients have benefited from this procedure already. And the opportunity for us to provide alternative therapies is really, I think, the next uh, wave of innovation in the future. But, you know, what I would say is it's exciting but all this technology, much of it is here right now. It's, it's really about how do we operationalize this and get more health systems access and utilizing the platforms and technologies that they already have and bringing it all together. You know, Dr. Mayfield is, is lucky. You know, his health system really manages that patient from identification to treatment and survivorship. They leverage those platforms and technologies. We need more hospitals to take on lung cancer as a strategic initiative and really go after it. The technology's here. And and Dr. Mayfield, we talk about getting to the lesions. I want to understand how difficult is it, how much access do we have to all areas of the lung? How difficult is it to to reach a spot that's on the outside of the lung? As a layperson, you kind of think, well, just go in there and get it. I'm pretty sure it's not that simple. Sure. So we clinicians divide the lung into the center third, the middle third, and the outer third. So the center third is easily available to bronchoscopy. We can get into the larger airways and see these tumors, biopsy, and that kind of stuff. The middle third, again, pretty good size airways. If we can make the turn, then with these bronchoscopes, we can get to those lesions. It's the outer third that's been a problem for bronchoscopic access. And so a a number of uh, uh, GPS-directed devices have been used over the years, and now we have even robotic assisted and robotic directed technology to get out to those lesions. And now we're able to uh, get to you know, 90, 95% of those lesions in the outer third bronchoscopically. Before to get to the outer third, we would do a needle biopsy through the chest wall you know, with the potential of collapsing the lung about 30 or 40% of the time, putting in a chest tube, that kind of thing. If all else failed, we are always able to do some minimally invasive surgery and go in and get that outer third lesion. That's on the diagnostic side. On a therapeutic side, at least in surgery, 25 years ago, we were doing thoracotomies, big incision on the chest, spread the ribs, 
do everything um, uh, directly. And uh, the length of stay was 9.9 days, the mortality rate somewhere around three, four, five percent. And with all the technology that's been developed over the last 20 years, led by Covidian, by Medtronic, U.S. Surgical, we just review our we review our data every 30 days. Our length of stay now is 1.9 days. Nobody goes to the ICU. Some patients go home within 24 hours. Very good pain control through a couple of little tiny Band-Aid incisions. So 1.9 days at home, and the mortality rates are you know way under one percent. So a lot of progress in the last 20 years. And what sort of work are you doing with companies like Medtronic to improve that that access? Yeah, so we're we work with them in every phase. For example, uh, I've been working with Emily and her team for the last four or five years on the software management of lung screening and incidental nodule patients and that and that workflow. We've also uh, helped them develop a what we call a tumor board application where we get all the information from pathology, radiology, pulmonary, surgery, you know, all the different disciplines together on one on one screen built into cards. And then everyone can look at all the same information at the same time and come to a consensus decision. That really had not been done before. So we have the software management side, which brings lung cancer screening and incidental nodule patients into the software. They go into a work queue. And then if something needs to be done 30 days, 60 days, 90 days later for another imaging or some biopsy procedure needs to be done next week, if something isn't done in time, then the software flags us and says, hey, something's not happening here. You got to move this patient along. We never had that before. And every once in a while, a patient would get you know lost between the cracks for a week or two. And then there's on the whole therapeutic side, truly enabling minimally invasive thoracic surgery really over the last 15 years. And now, maybe not even doing surgery anymore, but transbronchial treatment. So huge contributions. And we work with them on all of those. And Emily, I want to get your side on those partnerships, but you mentioned Hugo. Dr. Mayfield mentioned robotic surgical systems being a help. I don't know if, I know Hugo's not approved yet, but is Hugo going to have a lung application? Are you able to speak to that? Or is that still something you're not allowed to talk about? (laughs) (laughs) uh, It's a great question, Tom. We anticipate um, many indications on the Hugo platform our IDE that is initially um, scoped is for urology, right? Mm-hmm. So we're starting there and then we will gate into additional indications over time. And clearly thoracic surgery is a mainstay and a position in which we lead in the market. And so I can anticipate that is absolutely on the horizon as well. A lot of helpful breadcrumbs. Thank you very much. Well, how about uh, to Dr. Mayfield's point about your work with, with uh, physicians? How is that helping you lung health move forward with its objectives? It's a great question. We talk about it as as partnership, right? And we, you know, the definition of partnership is really shared ownership, shared responsibilities. And I think we are looking to partner with health systems and customers that, like Dr. Mayfield, who really want to provide that better future for their their patients and ultimately they're our customers. And it's multifaceted, right? It's technology, as Dr. Mayfield says, you know, solving the right customer unmet needs. And I think that's really important, right? We can invest in a lot of things. And Dr. Mayfield mentioned robotics as well. Um, We want to make sure we're solving for the right problems and that the technology that we bring forward 
has clinically and economically valuable information um, and insights globally that our evidence is strong, right? It's reputable, strong evidence, why you need to use this system and, and that our financial proposition is, is strong. I think it's challenging for health systems right now, especially coming off of COVID, to make decisions around what they're going to acquire, what technologies can they afford? Is the market there? Is the opportunity there? How much lift can I put forward? How many resources can I apply to stand it up? And when we think of partnership, it's how we bring not only technology, but people to the equation to really operationalize the technology. Any technology alone won't solve the problem right? It's really teams of people coming together to operationalize how we're going to better manage those patients in that healthcare ecosystem. And, you know, whether it's uh, working to install the technology, I think whether it is servicing that technology, and even more importantly, training the next generation of physicians to use these um, forthcoming technologies is really where I think Medtronic excels. It's not transactional for us. It's a partnership that allows us to meet the needs, train for the future needs in this space, and ultimately, you know, collectively together, build a future that we all want. And we take that very seriously. And the people that work for us live that Medtronic mission every single day. And I think Dr. Mayfield and his team hopefully benefit from that and others will too. I'd like to second that in the sense that you see a lot of companies out there, particularly the bigger they are, the bigger checks they can write, go out the easy way and they say, we're going we're gonna to grow by acquisition, we're going to grow by acquisition, grow by acquisition. But there are executives like Emily who really understand their space and they come in and they listen to what our problems are. There's, a, there's an old lean saying in lean management, solve the pebble in my shoe. You know, what's the problem that you have today that's really bugging you that we can help with? And that's the kind of relationship we've had with uh, Covidian and Medtronic over the last 15 years. And we've advanced the we've advanced the science by them listening to their customer from the inside and not just going outside on the acquisition. That's uh, seems like a good opportunity to to wrap things up. Dr. Mayfield, anything uh, that you would offer to folks who are listening to this who are now wondering about their own lung health? What can they do to uh, to sure. move things forward? So let's talk about that a little bit. One thing we didn't we didn't say lung cancer is also the women's disease. Lung cancer kills more women in the United huh. States than breast cancer and cervical cancer combined. Wow. I want to see pink ribbons around lung cancer. Lung cancer kills more men than prostate cancer and colon cancer combined. It is by far the number one cancer killer. So I want to I want to combine that with the 747 analogy. This is a huge, hairy monster that we today have a huge opportunity in. So in parting, if you're going to pick a fight, you're going to pick a fight with cancer, lung cancer is a great uh, target because there's uh, plenty to do and we're making progress and it's multidisciplinary. It's medical oncology, it's pulmonary medicine, and on the surgical side, thoracic surgery. As a 50-year-old man, I'm now a little annoyed that we talk so much about colonoscopies and... uh... Lung cancer is a faster-moving cancer. <laughs> I'd rather get that looked at first. That's right. So uh, talk to your my primary. Mind. Yeah, talk yeah. to your primary care doctor. If you're 50 years of age and you smoke 20 pack years, and you haven't quit within the last 15 years, if you. Well, what if you haven't smoked? I have not smoked, ah, but you said you, you said 20 percent of the people, 20 percent of the people who you screened right through those incidental scans that weren't smokers. 
So screening by its very nature implies that you're going to screen higher risk patients. Mm -hmm. So in lung cancer, that's people who have uh, performed smoking. Right now, the United States Preventive Services Task Force has said, this is who we're going to screen, 50 years or older, 20 years. We don't really yet, we have not yet identified those characteristics in non-smokers and never smokers that make them at some incremental higher risk. I do believe, and I see families with lung cancer, uh, high-density lung cancer in them, I do believe that there is a genetic predisposition. Mm -hmm. We haven't defined that yet. And, of course, all the environmental exposure. When we first started screening with ILCAP 15 years ago, we actually screened anyone who had an 18-year history of secondary smoke. Now, how did we come up with that? You were born into a household and graduated from high school. It was 18 years, exposed to secondary smoke. But we actually saw an increased risk of lung cancer in those patients. Now, it's not identified as a category by USPSTF or by CMS, but you know you can talk to your doctor, and, and if you have any symptoms at all, get a low-dose CT scan. Good advice. And Emily, uh, any, any uh, closing remarks? Yeah, thanks, Tom. I think the time is now. This is absolutely a space that is being looked at, I think, for the first time in a long time. And, um, you know, it was interesting. I was with President Biden's administration through an AdvaMed steering committee, um, and we were talking about the Cancer Moonshot Program. And Dr. Carnival, who leads that, she asked, you know, what needs to be done in cancer? You know, a lot of people brought on new therapies and we need to, you know, find a way to cure the disease. And absolutely, that is true. But I believe we have, like I said earlier, technology here and now that is underutilized. And we need to help health systems implement that ecosystem because we can identify them now. We can better diagnose them now. We can treat them better now. And we can ultimately get more patients winning against lung cancer. But patients, they need to get checked. You need to advocate for your own health. You need to know the risks and you can't be afraid to walk in that door and say, I was a former smoker or I currently smoke or I believe I'm at risk for lung cancer and have that discussion with your healthcare provider. MedTech, we need to do our part, right? We need to continue to innovate. We need to continue to bring that to the forefront. Advocacy plays a role as well, continuing to make sure there is access for patients um, in all walks of life and in all communities. And um, you better believe that Medtronic is going to do our part. We are going to continue to do our part and shift the stage of lung cancer and get more patients winning against lung cancer and ultimately getting patients to have hope for a better tomorrow. Well, these are, this has been a great, great conversation, an important conversation. And uh, thank you both for, for joining me on the podcast. Well, thank you. And my challenge to you, my personal challenge to you is now that you know the magnitude of the problem we have, help Medtronic and internally and externally get, you know, more exposure. We'll be happy to come back on six months from now or something, let you know what's going on. Well, we'll definitely, I'll take you up on that. That'd be great. Okay. Thank Thanks. you, Tom. Well, that is a wrap. Thanks so much for joining us on this episode of the Medtronic Talks podcast. Once again, you can subscribe to Medtronic Talks on any major podcast application. You can also find past and future episodes on devicetalks.com, where you'll find more information about our other podcasts, our events, and our other great MedTech stories. And of course, you could find Medtronic Talks on medtronic.com. Please uh, share this episode of the Medtronic Talks podcast. Once again, this is Lung Cancer Awareness Month, or November is. 
And uh, it's a great way to spread the word about the dangers of lung cancer. So when you do share it, uh, make sure you tag Medtronic, tag myself. You can find me on LinkedIn. I am Tom, S-A-L-E-M-I of Device Talks. You can find me on Twitter as well, at MedTechTom. Once again, that is a wrap. Thanks so much for joining us on this episode of the Medtronic Talks podcast. Remember, like, follow, and or subscribe to the Medtronic Talks podcast. We'll have another great story from Medtronic sent directly to you.